0: our site's first podcast series. Uh, in this podcast series we aim to delve into the matters of international relations, Nepal's economic diplomacy, regional cooperation, and South Asian geopolitics, with as much depth as possible, along with talking about foundational understanding within these broader themes. Our first guest today is Mr. gorab Samshar Thapa. gorab is an analyst, researcher in the field of international relations and Holds an MA in International Relations and Diplomacy from Thrivan University. Thapa has published various articles related to international relations for international platforms, including Asia Times, South Asian Voices, and East Asia Forum, where he also acts as a reviewer of articles. His uh, major areas of interest include foreign policy of Nepal, vis a vis India, China, and the US. Geopolitics and diplomatic history of Nepal. Welcome to our first series of podcast call of the and thank you so much for accepting our invite. I'll start with a pretty basic question. What is international relations? And uh, if we could slightly you know delve into its history as well as briefly as possible.
1: Thank you so much. I would like to thank the Farsight Nepal team for allowing me to appear on your podcast. Uh, international relations basically is the state of affairs as the states, they deal with each other. The relation there is a discipline that defines the relations between states. And of late, it's, it not only defines the relations between state, but it also defines the relationship between state and the people. So this international relations, it started as a distinct academic field more than 100 years ago. Otherwise, it used to be a part of the broad subject of political science. So considering that international relations has come a long way, and uh, basically the nation-state system, it's con- it is considered to have been s- formally started after uh, the, the peace of Westphalia in 1648. So after that uh, uh, that uh, treaty, the, the concept of state as a country, as a state, was more uh, distinct and more strong. And then the primary objective at that uh, uh, time was thought to be the maximization of power. The states, the primary aim that was thought was to expand their territory expand their control and control over territory as well as the people. So having uh, started from there then uh, in the start of the twenty-first, 20th century uh, in the advent of uh, the World War so the concept of statehood became even more stronger and that led to conflict between states. So Within that, then, the uh, field of international relations is, can be distinctly divided into, among many, uh, two school of thoughts. And one is the realist realism, the realist school of thought, and one is the liberalism, There is the liberal school of thought. So, as I mentioned just now, uh, the, the advent of the First World War uh, led to the rise in the idealist and the liberalist thought. Otherwise the classical uh, realism, realist assumption was uh, based on the human nature and lot of uh, theorists, including uh, Hobbes, they talked about the state of nature and the human nature is to dominate and they talked about animus dominandi, that is the basic uh, nature of humans is to desire to dominate, desire to gain power, desire to uh, control, one over the other, so based on that premise, uh, theorists like uh, Mezheimer later on they uh, to expanded the classical realist perspective into uh, neorealistic realistic uh, theories. so in that sense they they talked about uh, the distinct uh, nature of international order that is anarchic in nature. They talked about anarchy. Anarchy here in the I, IR parlance, the international relations parlance, doesn't mean a chaos or something. It, it, it underscores uh, the absence of one supreme global uh, power or something that controls the order. So in the absence of that, uh, the neorealist p- perspective says that the states, they try to maximize their power and based on that uh, assumption whereas the liberalist school of thought says that it focuses on interdependence. So whereas uh, the realist school talks about uh, desire for power, struggle and insecurity, the liberalist school of thought uh, talks about interdependence, cooperation, etc. So uh, these uh, two distinct fields have gained uh, prominence, and in in parallel among different, uh, I mean, circumstances over 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 his, over, over the history, and uh, uh, geopolitical scenario after the Second World War also totally changed. So in that sense, uh, the uh, the order the world order was established into two distinct uh, ideologies. So one was led by the United States, the other was then by the Soviet Union, so during those times also uh, the states although in the, during the Cold War era the, any sort of war didn't take place among two superpowers but the world was uh, totally divided into two blocks. So that led uh, states to uh, maximize their power as well as align themselves uh, in different blocks so among uh, during that uh, time then the concept of non alignment also came so certain countries uh, certain leaders they didn't want to align with either of the blocks and few leaders like nehru and uh, tito and few other from africa leaders from ghana and from egypt so they decided to form a different block that would not align with any of the powers in nepal since beginning has also played an important role in uh, in the non-alignment movement. So the evolution of uh, international relations in that sense, after uh, the collapse of the Soviet Union in uh, 1991, that led to a a new era of globalization. So after that also, although it was said by many scholars, including uh, Francis Fukuyama this, "This is the end of history. That is, such uh, hegemonic power will may not arise ever, and the total liberalist school will dominate uh, the international order." So that was uh, thought of after the era of globalization started. But as we can see, the over a course of time, uh, over a period of around 30, more than 30 years, so. Such perspective will not is not you know uh, cannot be seen in isolation because uh, idealism is one thing, idealist perspective is one thing, but situations from time to time differ. So, if you ask me, the realist uh, perspective is still uh, I mean strongly dominant in this world and in this era, and if you see the current uh, global order even though uh, Soviet Union is not there anymore as a superpower. So China's meteoric rise uh, countering the only superpower at the moment, the United States, has led to a different uh, scenario in the international order. So if we see that then uh, we can say that uh, the scenario is, uh, the international relations scenario at the moment is also very, uh, what you can say, very we can be very skeptical about uh, what may happen next. So, In that sense, so it's quite unpredictable. Uh, international relations is no, never a static thing. It always is in a state of flux, if you can see by the events that have taken place in uh, history. So,
0: what you mean to say is that because we have reached a highly globalized era today, which is the core of the liberalist approach, and which has also resulted in such a stronger international interdependence, which was not there earlier between the two superpower countries, the US and the Russia. But now, now let's see the trade flows between China and the US, and uh, this economic interdependence has been playing the role of a force of balance in balancing these two forces, right
1: Yes, naturally uh, that that is very true because uh, earlier if we see the politics used to drive econo- economy, so now if you see the economic activities drive politics because everything is so intertwined, everything is so interrelated and interdependent that even the two primary competitors at the moment in the world, the United States and China, they are also dependent on uh, so many things in the economic uh, parlance. and. Uh, considering that uh, no one can exist in isolation. so even if the United States says that it can bypass China or even for that matter even if China says that it can bypass the United States and align with so many other countries so but uh, the their own economic relations uh, is a, is is one of the uh, biggest uh, balances as you can as we've already said that. so that is also, uh, that also that those sort of factors also inhibit the chances of uh, large scale conflicts or war in the in this current era that's
0: that's an interesting account of international relations mm. can you also share a glimpse into the history of nepal's international relations
1: yeah nepal is as we all know nepal is one of the oldest countries in the world. So in that sense, so if we talk about the modern history of uh, Nepal. So Nepal, uh, as we can see that, ne- as we all know that Nepal is located in a very crucial uh, geostrategic location uh, in South Asia. So between two uh, giant powers, India and China. So being a small state between two to big states as well as their rivals, competitors rather. So it's always been a struggle of existence for Nepal since history, even if we uh, see, while we talk about so many scholars, international western scholars, so our own, we can seek a lot of inspiration from our very uh, homegrown uh, theories, if we can theorize what uh, our earlier leaders have said. For example, Prithvi So he was a master strategist. So his some of his views and theories can be correlated in the parlance of international politics or international relations. For example, he had the scenario which, in which he uh, sort of unified Nepal. So he uh, he made a correlation between uh, of Nepal, saying that Nepal is a yam between two boulders. So that that. Uh, example or that illustration is still significant in in certain ways although it's been so many more than 250 years since he made that comparison but still the scenario has not changed much in the sense that although uh, the struggle for existence may not be still there but uh, the certain level of insecurities or certain level of dilemmas are still there. So in that sense, uh, yes, Nepal uh, has come a long way in international relations theory, I mean uh, practice also. And if we think about Nepal's more recent history, so let's say Nepal became a member of UN in 1955. So since then, Nepal has uh, been one of the uh, initially it played a big role in UN, uh, by, despite uh, the Soviet bloc not allowing Nepal to be a member, but during that time, uh, the leaders of Nepal, they really projected Nepal's image uh, in, in, despite uh, so many difficult circumstances. And uh, Nepal has bec- been a member of the UN, non-permanent member of UN Security Council twice, although uh, the last was in uh, and Nepal's biggest uh, plus point uh, in international uh, relations at the moment may be through Nepal's peacekeeping missions where Nepal is the second largest contributor of troops at the moment. So Nepal has also been able to project its image despite its economic uh, backwardness but through other means Nepal has played a vital role in uh, securing world peace. So, in that sense, uh, Nepal's uh, diplomatic activities of late uh, can be distinctly divided into two or three uh, scenarios. One, as we said, the the multilateral approach, primarily uh, with the United Nations. And in that sense, also the uh, peacekeeping missions, that is one thing. And Nepal's relations with, uh, uh, in the multilateral other forums, for example, regional forums, Nepal, uh, for the establishment of SAC, Nepal played an important role, although SAC at the moment is in limbo, but still Nepal's role uh, is really commendable in the establishment and uh, the movement of SAC. And Nepal's bilateral relations. So bilateral relations, Nepal, as we, uh, it's uh, quite obvious that Nepal's uh, relations is majorly concerning between two of its immediate neighbors, India and China. So uh, on the economic and political front, we've always been more uh, interacting or more dependent on India rather than China. That is also defined by history, geography, linguistic, religious, all the sort of activities. And China on the other hand, although we've got ancient relations with China, the ease of uh, access, is not as uh, good as with India. So in that sense, our relations with China have become more political in nature, although uh, economic relations have also flourished over the time. Nepal is a uh, party to the Belt and Road Initiative with China. But still, our more than 80% of trade is with and through India. So the ease of access and geographic proximity makes Nepal's dealings with India more easier and uh, Nepal has relations with uh, good relations with uh, its major development partners including the United States and the US uh, has played an important role in Nepal's development uh, since we had relations with them, formal diplomatic relations with them since 1947. So with the US now in this regional scenario, the US has also, as we are all aware, as we have seen, the US is also uh, quite interested and influential in Nepal at the moment. So when, as we are all aware that we are party to the MCC, the Millennium Challenge Cooperation Compact, and so many other things which uh, with the US which we have been dealing with, including uh, economic cooperation at the political level, as well as in... The military training, etc.
0: So in that sense, uh, Nepal's
1: relations obviously is uh, more with, has to do more with its immediate neighbors, that is one thing, but Nepal's horizon of relations has expanded over a period of time and its relations with uh, other western countries as well as uh, the labor destinations. So that has also been of primary concern of over the last 20 or 30 years. So yeah, in that sense we can say that Nepal's uh, the, the Nepal's geopolitical location makes it more, uh, I wouldn't say susceptible, but uh, more uh, the, the, the major powers or the global powers are more interested in Nepal uh, because of its geopolitical location. So That is also true. Uh,
0: Nepal's geostrategic location. Uh, has always been there for its immediate neighbours, but uh, was it also the case for the rest of the power blocks then, or is, is it in just recent history? You know, after China's emergence and the fact that India is also gradually catching up.
1: Yeah, I would say that it was always there. Because if you if you see that earlier, China and India were always there, right? Yeah. But at the time, British. The British East India Company was there, so the British Nepal and that Chinese or Tibetan connection was always there. So that now, if we if you say that the US is more uh, involved in Nepal or interested in Nepal's affairs, at the time the British who were ruling India were uh, party to such geopolitical influence. So in that sense, uh, we can say that it's not a new phenomenon that we are facing, but Nepal has navigated such scenario since history. So I think uh, it's not a new phenomenon for Nepal.
0: We keep on hearing that international relations charted new heights during the time of King Mahendra. Although as a ruler he's, and his regime has had several uh, drawbacks, many also consider him as an intelligent leader, can you highlight some of the key and prominent international relations exercise or practices post-50s? Can we mm, slightly delve into that?
1: It's uh, unfortunate that uh, two great leaders of that time, I would say uh, King Mohendra and BP Koyeraga, they existed at the same time. So they, they, they both loved their country. So it's just that King Mahendra later on diverted through a different path by by, uh, demolishing the democratic setup. But uh, that doesn't mean his contribution in the foreign policy realm can be overlooked. Similarly, BP Koirala, he was a great visionary leader, Uh, his decision to uh, recognize Israel uh, in spite of. Uh, geopolitical constraints and uh, influence is still considered an example of Nepal's uh, proactive approach in international relations. So even India had not recognized, So we are the first country in South Asia to recognize Israel. So due to that also he faced, uh, it is said that he had to face, go through so many things. So Nepal is not, uh, we hear many people say that Nepal is very inactive or doesn't play a proactive role, but if we see that era, Nepal has always been proactive, and Nepal, as I said earlier, uh, has been a very important uh, actor in the non-alignment movement. So after BP's uh, exile, then King Mahendra started uh, took the foreign policy in his own hands, and during his time also the basic simple example just the construction of the east-west highway or the construction of the Kodari Highway connecting Nepal, with Tibet, China. So that these are also, these two are very simple examples but they carry significant uh, symbolism or meaning in international relations because we didn't have connectivity. So we are talking about connectivity through train or railway network at the moment but to connect the two, uh, the two distinct geographical regions through the east-west highway and through the north-south uh, road road link. So that is just a simple example, but yet very symbolic in nature of connecting, uh, of having balance in in the relations also. So, and another uh, example is that uh, his uh, his. Uh, His overall uh, design or overall vision of trying to protect the national interests of Nepal in spite of so many uh, constraints from the southern neighbour at that time. So the the way he handled or navigated those geopolitical hurdles uh, by uh, establishing relations with even western powers Even at the time, even uh, the Soviet Union, the ally of India at that time. And still, he he had even good relations with the Soviets also. So, he was a master strategist and he really knew how to, you know, balance relations so that uh, our relations or our national interests could be secure. So, although his uh, undemocratic leanings can be uh, treated in a different way, but his... uh, actions for securing, for prom- promoting or projecting the national interests of Nepal uh, is really common in Nepal. I
0: now, now, compared to that era, how do we view our recent practices in IR and, uh, and managing geopolitics of the day? In fact, now situations have changed further due to new variables like advancement in technology, climate change and all that.
1: Constants would always remain constants yeah. as they are constants, but the variables, as you said, change a lot. So, technology, science, and even cybersecurity, or the now the hottest topic, maybe AI, artificial intelligence. These are so many variables that has a, that have appeared not only in international research but in other fields also. So, constantly we have to upgrade our diplomatic efforts or we have to refine our foreign policy objectives according to the changing times. So uh, if we see of the current after let's say uh, the advent of the Republican order in Nepal a lot of uh, foreign influence or foreign meddling have uh, we have seen that. Obviously in, a, in, in an interconnected world it is not uh, possible to stay in isolation but what level of interference or influence you want to give depends on how the domestic politics plays in Nepal. It's often said that, said that foreign policy is also an extension of a domestic policy. So if the domest- domestic politics is stable and uh, the leaders know, the, know their ground, keep their ground it, it uh, the the uh, scope of foreign uh, interference is automatically reduced but if we if your home is not in order, so obviously we are allowing other players to play in. so uh, Nepal at the moment has a lot to do because new variables have come up. We have to deal not only with our neighbors uh, which have uh, taken a giant leap in their, economic statuses uh, compared to what they used to be in even 30 years ago. So after uh, 1990 or 1991, after the end of the Cold war and start of globalization, both our neighbors have reached miles, but whereas we being so closely associated with them have not been yet to have not yet been able to reap the benefits. So that also depends on the desire of the leaders, uh, the the policy makers, how we want to reorient or use our foreign policy tools or our diplomatic efforts for for securing our own national interests rather than serving the interests of others or uh, not being able to maximize the benefits that we might be able to do.
0: Are there any novel efforts in recent times that you can recall? Or is it just limited to continuity of what was initiated back in the days, um, such as peacekeeping force or even the formation of uh, SARC, all that is dysfunctional now?
1: Obviously, uh, we've been about a lot of issues, but the one that may be distinct at the moment that is... Uh, that enhances Nepal's role because we tend, we have to find what the plus points are. So this uh, Nepal's role in UN peacekeeping really increases our TRP in that sense. So, but at the same time we being in such a uh, crucial uh, geostrategic location we can also be proactive in our own regional efforts also. So, but that has been lacking. Nepal currently, is, we are in the chair of sac but sac due to the differences between India and Pakistan, it's almost in a limbo. So that, that has provided us with an opportunity, at least provided us with an opportunity to be proactive and try to convince them. But I don't know why the, uh, they are not trying to, the leaders are not trying to be proactive, or they're not trying to put efforts. Maybe they don't want to antagonize their, you know, uh, big neighbors. So that sort of things, one has to, you know, re- the, the leadership, the leadership has to really uh, s- make a, set a vision and fix a target. So where they want to focus their uh, policies. So Nepal can also. Uh, was so many because uh, Nepal has always been known as a peace-loving country, right? So we talk about we are the land of Buddha and all. So we can organize so many dialogues, so many because climate change Nepal in, in the climate change agenda. Also, we can advocate. So there are so many things which can which we can advocate, and even the geopolitical agenda, the security dilemma that has been taking place in the world, we can set into motion a lot of other dialogues so but for that we, we need to be proactive geography has given that opportunity given us that opportunity because we are located between two uh, rivals at, at the same time competitors so we should be able to you know maximize that uh, our ge- geolocation for our own benefit so we can being a small state doesn't mean that we can be proactive we have been proactive in the earlier past also. So there's a lot of avenues in which we can be proactive, but it all depends on the policies or the vision of the leaders. And But having said that, we are so much engrossed in managing our own domestic politics that has been unstable since uh, I don't know when. But we are always yearning for that. So th- that sort of act, uh, the situation has not allowed us to, you know, cross that barrier or transcend that boundary in envisaging or thinking about other things that might uh, enhance Nepal's image in a different way in in the global stage.
0: Mountains were always there. Buddha has always been there. And recent time of the India initiatives they were never, never, the way they have been able to exercise uh, you know, not exercise the leverage yoga or their film industry, Bollywood into making it as a soft power for themselves. two type of initiatives are Miley Kasi are there such low hanging fruits that you can you particularly say, Okay, these might then just the national interest or soft power but international relations might be important
1: things ma focus as you already said you know, pu- natural scenery <words> beauty buddha so translate yes so, we haven't been able to translate that into mm. our own benefit We <ėmmen> <laughs> maximize maximized pani maximize ta gure chhod normally the, <laughs> Champion, <west okay? mechanicallyleo> so, the initiative it all depends on mm the leadership and the political structure domestic politics or international politics so we have economically unless we rise economically so i think that is also inhibiting our uh, ambition to be more proactive just the logic in terms of you say economic or whatever military the so I am a to pass we haven't been able to maximize our own soft powers to so I'm yeah, the climate even can be we can offer tours so many uh, conferences or dialogues. Yeah, they're on the But uh tesli or vision strategies or that sort of thinking, we haven't been able to do that and we're just beating around the bush.
0: So then we are just completely focused on managing our domestic
1: politics. That has also led to, you know, that has resisted our efforts to expand the horizon. So our domestic uh, politics is always in a state of flux. Even after this uh, new constitution, everyone thought, okay, this is the last thing. So after this, everything is going to stabilize. And then we are going the road of prosperity economic development although, yeah although we have to be we have to look through the positive lens but you know because you see as you said we talked about variables and constants constants will always be there we will always remain uh, sandwiched between our two neighbors That's, geography is not never going to change through that we need to find our own innovative ways ways to uh, maximize our interests and other global powers will always have interest in our affairs that is also we cannot avoid that so we have to you know we have to enhance our own skills we have to make the foreign ministry stronger the leaders have to be abreast of the latest developments they have to be confident in dealing with the uh, their counterparts, the negotiations should be for our own benefit and in economic uh, terms we talk a lot about hydro power uh, these days so that if we can translate that to our own benefit then our standing you know while dealing with others or how others view us will also be different so unless we sort of put our house in order, unless the politics is stable Unless the leaders are committed, unless we reduce uh, the level of corruption that is taking place, that takes place in our country, the others will also not view us in that light. Others won't take us seriously. So, for even projecting our own image, we have to be strong from within and put up a united front. And in in especially in terms when we talk about foreign policy. It doesn't change with every government, you know usually. So the foreign policy uh, is not run by just one leader or in the whim of one leader. It's a set of policies to secure our own interests, national security that is applied by a state. And uh, based on our own practice, uh, we sometimes tend to tilt towards the south or towards the north that that won't help us we have to s- stick to our you know own uh, standing
0: you mentioned uh, foreign policy what is foreign policy and uh, what should it look like
1: the basic tenets of foreign policy are enshrined in the constitution itself so the, some of the guiding principles of our foreign policy are the principles of non-alignment following the principles of seal, following the UN charter following the international law and uh, following the norms of world peace. So these are some of the basic tenets of our foreign policy that is, that are enshrined in the constitution itself and the different uh, uh, foreign policy uh, practices uh, done so far, or the diplomatic practices or the policies are based on these guidelines only. So one cannot deviate from, the basic tenets of foreign policy that are enshrined in the constitution but in practice obviously whatever is, is laid in the theory is not always applied so in certain events we might have been portrayed as if we have tilted to the some we have taken sides whereas the the principle of non-alignment for example it doesn't mean that you just sit idle you know just it, it the essence of non-alignment, as I understand, or the, what what I advocate, is that putting uh, or portraying putting forth your independent uh, stance in the international affairs. So, I mean, you are not aligning with any power, but at the same time, it's not that you are saying staying passive or you are just staying aloof. It doesn't mean that. So, it's, it, it means taking independent stances. In, on certain international issues, so a recent example: Nepal uh, didn't support. Nepal supported the Ukraine in uh, the UN, so and uh, uh, criticized uh, Russia's efforts in annexing certain parts of Ukraine. And many observers here said say that we, why did Nepal do that? So we should have you know abstained or whatever. But uh, being located in such a crucial geopolitical location between two mighty powers that are that have antagonistic relations with each other and when one country annexes uh, the independent territory of another country so it is always right for one for for one country to uh, i mean support the country whose territory has been annexed so nepal took that stance in the un based on this philosophy as I believe and uh, I don't think it's valid to criticize that Nepal uh, didn't follow the non-alignment non-aligned parties should not have aligned with uh, this power or that power that is doesn't mean because Nepal took an independent stance on certain issues that arose due to the actions of a certain state so that should not be seen in isolation. Foreign policy should not be uh, thing that changes with every change in government to the, uh, Nepal goes in historical uh, I'm standing has relations uh, with neighbors or major powers the hill era I'm like key benefit to is moreover these days we have to consider so many migrant Nepalese who are uh, working in different countries in the Gulf as well as in other countries so foreign policy should you know, take care of that and as, as we discussed earlier we should be updated with so many technological advancements so foreign policy now should be updated to you know tackle uh, the threats posed by cyber crime or the artificial intelligence so Obviously, new variables are going to be updated. So, obviously, all the concerns are concerned about foreign policy, and the national security perspective. but, but these sort of things should also be now incorporated. We have seen a lot of talk about climate change. So, foreign policy, sorry, climate change, international relations are also part of it. So, the issue of oil is globally, that is, Highlighted and it's of concern. So, this is the issue of So, We need to adapt and we need to uh, embed such issues in our policies and practices. Otherwise, we will lag behind. We should not be reactive. We should not be reactive. Our policy makers, our bureaucrats, our diplomats should be. Well acquainted with all these things.
0: What is uh, national interest and uh, how do you determine it?
1: National interest is a very, uh, you know, it's a relative term. National interest is not, you cannot just measure. Simply national interest is what secures your uh, interest, basically. The country's interests that are taken care of. That, that are not hampered by external factors and whatever is you, you can secure by uh, increasing your the elements of your national power uh, the national power will have so many elements so if you if you enhance your national powers the, so that they are oriented to secure your interests. So in that sense national interests can be taken as, the thing that you, that can be secured by utilizing all elements of your national power so national power has so many elements maybe the economic uh, side of it the political side of it even uh, population or whatever the, the manpower that is also the national resources these are all examples of national power so as you enhance your national power your national interests are more secure, so the enhancement of national power will lead to securing your national interest. So when all the elements of national power are secured, so your national interest will also automatically be secured. So that means we have to, you know, uh, gain strength in all the different aspects of, of, of statecraft.
0: Coming to SARC now, Nepal had taken quite a proactive role in the formation of SARC. What has happened to it now?
1: SARC was started with a very novel objective of regional cooperation. So that's the essence of SARC. And the, this region, the South Asia region, is connected uh, through culture, language, and a lot of commonalities aspect also, geographic contiguity and so many of, uh, almost all the countries are you know sort of uh, what you can say is interrelated or in culturally also. But uh, the big power rivalry of certain states, India-Pakistan rivalry has sort of subdued all the other, the benefits that we could have taken. And on this, the Charter itself uh, hinders uh, the, I, this, the, the without uh, the consent of uh, all the members, it can, the, the summits or the other things cannot happen. So, when two of the biggest countries, the member states, are not in unison in their uh, view of how to go about things, uh, this Association is in a limbo, whereas a lot could have been achieved uh, through this association. And in parallel, so many other initiatives have come. For example, BIMSTEC and other multi- multilateral forums have come up. Even within the SAC countries, the concept of BBIN has come up. So, but in terms of uh, SAC and the role played by Nepal in its uh, formation. Uh, I personally feel that SAG should be revived and it should play a big role in the regional cooperation. And India, being the largest country in terms of whatever size, geography, economy, and what military might, whatever, so it should play a proactive role in trying to revive the start, but th- as we see in India seems little interested in doing this but the effort of Nepal and other countries in the region the small maybe uh, Bangladesh or Sri Lanka they, they should try to you know convince both uh, the rivals uh, to cooperate with each other so that this regional association, which has a long history, can also flourish and it can connect people, and e- as well as economy, and for the benefit of the larger people in the region.
0: So there's one window of opportunity, when Nepal can, you know, really take again another proactive role. Yeah, and, and as I said earlier, we are the
1: current uh, chair of SAG, mm-hmm. and that itself allows us to be mm-hmm. more proactive. But due to certain factors or influences. Nepal has not taken place. Had, would Nepal have taken such uh, initiative earlier? Yes, maybe, I think so. But as of now, we, we see very limited role of Nepal, even being the chair of the SAC. What is Poncha Shield basically is the uh, five principle of uh, coexistence. So uh, you do not, it, it talks about so, Poncilsil also is uh, has roots in Buddhism, uh, but uh, the basic tenets of Poncilsil would be non-aggression, so respecting each other's uh, existence. So, inter when we talk about international relations, respecting each other's con- territorial integrity, not interfering in uh, others' internal affairs. So, this is an idealistic thought, and it talks about mutual cooperation. So. Poncho is basically a very idealist uh, concept, a novel novel concept that talks about, uh, you know, um, live and let live.
0: Can you give us any examples of, you know, any of the South Asian countries which have demonstrated a very proactive uh, international relation exercise in recent history?
1: Recently we can see how India, you know, successfully conducted this uh, G20 their meet and India's expertise in conducting uh, global events. So uh, now it's the current chair of G20. So India and especially with Narendra Modi as Prime Minister, it has uh, taken uh, India's image as, you know, Personal style of leadership has also helped, the even enhancing the country's image. So he's is uh, taken very seriously by world leaders, and his style of leadership and uh, in to come to uh, to go with the level of progress India is making. So it is man- so these two things are matching. So his style of leadership is. Making trying to uh, you know project India's image in uh, in the in the global arena is in uh, unison with the India's pace of development. So uh, the biggest example would be India taking a global leadership stage, and even in this uh, AUKUS, uh, the the regional military initiative, so India although the U.S. is trying to you know uh, pull India to its uh, against China in that uh, that uh, that block so it has ne- it has dealt uh, very diplomatically not antagonizing its immediate neighbor China with whom with which has with, yes, it India has a lot of economic activity I mean uh, relations. But at the same time uh, letting China know that uh, you know it won't tolerate any aggression so, so balancing act so India has w- done uh, in a very good way and in, in, in the Ukraine crisis also we can see the Russia-Ukraine war. So in the Russia, I mean the Russia is uh, India's traditional ally whereas with the US its relations are fledging in, with each passing year. So India doesn't want to you know, antagonize Russia. At the same time, it wants to have good relations with the US. So the balancing act of India in that, in that sense is really appreciable. But,
0: but India is a big power right now, right? Especially economic power. Uh, other other than India, if you look into rest of the South Asian countries like Sri Lanka and Pakistan or Bangladesh. Everybody has their own now at this point of time. All of them have their political conscience and economic conscience as well. But can we think of any such, again, a very proactive internationalization exercise in recent time that we, Nepal, can take le- lessons from?
1: Well, if we talk about economic uh, prosperity, so if we see the Bangladesh's uh, rise over the last 20 years, so it has overtaken Pakistan and it's the second largest economy in South Asia. So we can say that Bangladesh with its own, because if if we have noticed also Bangladesh, the politics, the domestic politics of Bangladesh was very unstable. But over the period of the last decade or so, we haven't seen so much of uh, trouble in Bangladesh. So the, due to that stability, I think it has uh, been able to reach this level of. Economic prosperity or growth, I would say, in in South Asia, overtaking Pakistan and uh, doing well. Although a lot of things are yet to be, you know, put in order there also. But uh, simply seeing their economic uh, growth, uh, they have come a long way. So that can be an example. The
0: conclusion is that the house has to be in order. For yes.
1: It, it, so it's, it's if you think about it it's anyway, right? stands